Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, my guest today is none other than Mary Lou Peck. She's the CEO of the National Speakers Association, of which I'm a member and part of the Hall of Fame. In her role, she's responsible for getting to know members and to grow and diversify the revenue that is making the speaking profession at the very top. She's also there to attract and engage more millennials and Gen Z young professionals into the industry at the same time carving a path for the organization's success. And I'm so excited to be able to talk to her about what's coming up on the horizon for the association, how it's changing and how associations changes during COVID really affect um, what we're seeing uh, with individuals, businesses and professions. So Mary Lou, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Thank you for having me, Jeffrey. It's good to have you here and have you on the other side of the microphone. Usually I'm in your office talking to you about the, the business of speaking. And so at least the, the at least the association, you took over about two years ago. Mm-hmm. What was your goal then for the organization Has and has it shifted since then? Sure. So um, when I took over, the board knew at the time during the interview process that we were in a turnaround situation. Uh, but none of us knew the extent of the turnaround situation. Uh, so yeah. uh, the first priority was to stabilize cash flow. Um, mm-hmm. Really hadn't paid attention to cash flow in the past. In fact, we didn't even have visibility into our finances. So uh, we needed to get a system that allowed us real-time visibility into the finances so we could get a handle on cash flow. Um, and then it's all about... Uh, the focus was how do we make sure that NSA is a sustainable, viable association. So we did a lot of the foundational shifts over the last couple of years, like a whole new governance model, a new volunteer model, financial system, um, other technology tools like our, our AMS, really starting to delve into our customers and their needs. So we serve the working professional speaker. Those are people who speak for a living, right? Speak to live audiences. Um, so really delving into what are their needs and how can we help them? How can we provide value? How can we enhance our community? So our goal uh, is to make sure that NSA is even more valuable and more crucial to the um, business of a professional speaker uh, in 2023 than it was when it was founded in, in 1973. And that still remains our goal. Um, how we're going to do that changes now. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, because it does change a little bit now in terms of there's less speakers out on stages. You know, we're all doing, you know, virtual presentations or live cast presentations. We're not doing the things that we normally do. And I doubt that we're going to get back on stage anytime soon. I mean, what's your, I, you know, I had the head of the Meeting Planners International. They recently canceled their June meeting and moved it to November uh, in Dallas, Texas is when they're going to be doing that. And your meeting has been in August, but you're planning on holding the meeting, right? Well, um, what we decided uh, pretty quickly in March was uh, we needed to plan and we needed to, to plan differently. So again, for the last two and a half years, the things and systems and processes we've been put in, putting into place not only helps us with sustainability, but helps us be more agile. We still have a ways to go on agility. Um, but two things. One, 
we didn't know what the possibility of holding a live event would be. So we wanted to plan um, for how do we hold it if it's not live. And two, our members, they were dramatically impacted by COVID-19. And you don't hear a lot of discussion about how the life of professional speakers were uh, impacted, right? I mean, they're cruising along and their revenue just went off of a cliff. Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, actually, it's worse than probably restaurants. Mm-hmm. When you think of it or a chef, a professional chef, you know, it's a profession that, hey, look, it's hard to it's hard to speak to a group of 8000 people, even online, much less or, you know, the, those events just went away. They just stopped. Yes. Yeah. And so we knew our members needed uh, content now. So that informed our decision to immediately um, convert influence into a hybrid where we pulled uh, breakout sessions forward beginning May 4th. And we worked with every single presenter to make sure that the content is relevant for what's happening today. So there's a lot about how to improve interactions virtually, how to hold virtual presentations, um, as well as the um, business needs. Like how do you diversify your revenue? How do you build a backend? How do you, um, what systems and processes do you put into place? So we started pulling that content forward and started delivering it this month. We're doing two sessions a week. Um, Then uh, we will end with a live event, August 1st through 3rd. At the time, we're like the live event will either be in person or it will be virtual. Uh, We're going to make a decision and announce it on the uh, on a town hall next week, given all of um, you know, the, the government is still pretty much shut down. Okay. ASAE just canceled their conference. Inbound just canceled their conference. Um, I've got another call with the hotel today. I'm not sure. I would say it is less probable that it'll be in person, but we'll know for sure within the next week or two. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed. You know, it's it's a difficult time and you're doing the best. You know, somebody asked me recently, I was doing an interview in the state of South Dakota and, and they asked me how the governor was doing. And you could apply that to every CEO, every, you know, CEO of an association like yourself and others and say, hey, they're doing a really good job. And some people would say, oh, no, they're not. They're canceling the meeting. They're doing, hey, look, how'd you like to do this job? Right. How'd you like to be the governor? How'd you like to be Mary Lou Peck, the head of NSA? It's not an easy job to be at the top. And I commend you and the others for it because you're actually doing a hell of a job. It's not an easy thing to do because you not only have to balance just the the needs of a few employees, you got to balance the needs of thousands and thousands and thousands of members. And by the way, most of them are prima donnas. Are you kidding me? You know, so, you know, without question, you're doing a great job. How I, and by the way, I applaud you. And I think the model is going to stick. I think the model that you're doing, of a hybrid, if you want to call it, virtual live cast in conjunction with an actual event. You know, you know, if you can hold it in person, MP, MPI is going to be doing that. And I think it's really, really a special kind of way of doing it. So you have this experience in person, but then you have this online experience for the online people. It's not the same as being in person. Right. So I and I think I love the lead up because you're going to see the model. I think don't you think the model will change for you? Absolutely. And we're planning to change, right? So um, going forward, influence will be a hybrid where we'll have virtual for probably more like 45 days versus four months uh, prior to the event. Um, But then that reframes conferences. And we've been talking for years about how conferences need to change. No adult can be lectured to for eight hours a day. So if you're doing the content virtually, then um, when you come together on site, 
how is that content delivered differently? How do we engage social learning? How do we make sure that things are interactive? And what can we do in person that is not quite as, as effective to do virtually? If I'm just going to lecture to you, I can send you a video ahead of time, right? Don't need to do that at the in-person portion of the event. So um, lots of really exciting conversations. That's the um, silver lining in any tragedy. There's always a silver lining, right? And the silver lining is usually innovation and it forces you to do things differently. And frankly, there's things that we've needed to do differently and now we have to. Yeah, in crisis, there's always opportunities. It's bad for the crisis, but always there's chances and there's new opportunities. Speaking of opportunities, I need to take a break. I'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're live on LinkedIn and Facebook as we are doing um, our darndest to drive and thrive, to help you, to get off your butt and make things happen right now. It's time to open up for business and we want you to be ready. And of course, we're doing that right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network. And we're so glad to have Mary Lou Peck, the CEO of the National Speakers Association with us here today. And by the way, I have to say thank you so much. Recently, Recently, the National Speaker Association put their their flagship Voices of Experience on C-Suite Radio. So thanks for doing that. Well, thank you. It has been such an easy transition and your team is just wonderful to work with. So thank you. Ooh, they're good. They're really good. I like them. I'm so happy. Hey, I got a question from Teresa Rose from our own team and she's listening on right now. She said, what's the most important best practices for speakers who will thrive right now, especially as it relates to content development? Oh, that's a great question, isn't it? So I think there's one characteristic that a lot of speakers have um, that will be most helpful, but not every speaker is really embracing that right now, and that is flexibility and agility. Uh, it's facing the fact that things are different. So to say, I only speak to this group and I can only deliver it in person and I can only deliver it on a stage, that's not really going to thrive. Could be, um, could be very lonely. Could be yes. very lonely. I mean, not to say there aren't opportunities. There are opportunities. Let's be clear. But there are less of those. And you really have to. You know, uh, Dan Burris, longtime member uh, of NSA, um, part of the Million Dollar Group as well. You know, he said this, this is a defining moment for speakers, defining moment for most business people. It really is. Um, and you know, Dan Thurman, uh, we just had him on one of our uh, interaction, interactive uh, video panels, and he talked about how he kind of took a step back and thought of it more strategically, and he invested in a, in a virtual studio so that he is prepared for the future. Um, dealing with uncertainty is challenging, but a lot of our members talk about dealing with uncertainty. So now it's time to implement you know, what you talk about. You talk about dealing with uncertainty. You talk about being adaptable and agile, um, embody those same characteristics. When it comes to content development, um, I think the worst thing that I've seen a couple of speakers do is they speak on maybe, um, I don't know, uh, something completely unrelated like uh, diversity. And now they come in and they say, hey, I'm a change agent and I speak on change and, and now you need to hire me, right? Because you don't have that credibility. You don't have that track record. So it is about sticking with your core content, but really looking at how is that relevant in these new times and it might be putting a spin on it. But you have to be congruent with your brand. 
Yeah, I think the key thing just is the association NSA is going through its own transition, just like a lot of associations. The speaking industry is going through that. A lot of businesses are. So the key, you know, it's the same rules for you as the association as it is for the people that you're serving, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It sure is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. By the way, I heard Dan Thurman's was uh, was a was an excellent presentation. I heard his virtual theater was just you know totally rocked. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to watching that episode. I got to get. By the way, re- team, remind me to get registered for the annual meeting. I'm going to be speaking at it with uh, the pre pre lead up. I got to get my my paperwork in. I'll do that right away. I'm sorry, Mary Lou, for not doing that. But I like this thing about walk your talk. What resources? is NSA putting into place to help its members adapt to this new way of doing presentation? What are you doing? Sure. So um, we're coming at it from a multitude of of angles. Uh, In early March, we had our president, Ana Layada, do some interviews with uh, meeting industry partners to talk about how best to work with them. Um, And we released those videos. We've been holding weekly virtual interactive panel discussions ranging from... um, one with Barry Banther, uh, Jay Bear, Randy Gage, and Ana Layata talking about what do you need to do right now and how do you manage your finances? And so that a lot of that was talk about cash flow. Uh, we talked about like SBA opportunities um, as well too, to talking about uh, how to deliver virtual uh, presentations, different ways to make the sale, as well as um, how to make sure you're taking care of yourself during this time because it is very, very stressful. And how do you deal with that stress? We also did a a series of deep dives with Marquesa Petway into how to use Zoom. Um, We started Fresh Talk Fridays, which is a facilitated discussion by one of uh, NSA's members, a different member each, each week, where our members can just get together and talk, talk about what they're seeing, uh, how they're dealing with it and, and share ideas. And then uh, we also have like a, a membership dues forbearance for a three month forbearance for those members who really need it. And then our team is just making outreach calls and just checking on our, our members and just checking in. You know, it's, it's just when you say all that, wow, wow, first of all, wow, that's a lot to be able to have to do all that and change that fast when you weren't doing all those things before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I heard the word forbearance in there as well. But in not only the, the, the education, the support, the hugs, I mean, that's really what it's about. I mean, really, it's about getting together and showing that we have a community. We're in this together. And what can we do? Um, it's, a, it's an association that cares. I think that's the core of what NSA more than a lot of other groups. And listen, folks, I've been five Hall of Fames. I've been in various industries, bought and sold over 250 businesses in my career. So that made me be in a lot of associations, get a lot of boards, do those things because those were always good for the businesses. But I don't think I've ever seen an association like NSA. I I really, truly, I don't think I ever have, Mary Lou. NSA is very special and our members are um, very involved and very engaged. And we're, we're fortunate with that. Yeah, and I think it's important, by the way, for us, we were talking about some of the young people getting involved. I wanted, that's my next question up in a second. But um, but even for the old folks, you know, and I consumed myself in that. I've been around as a member since 1986. Um, you said it joined, we started in 1973. So, wow, holy, holy moly. So it was only 13, the group was only 13 years old. And I remember we only had a few hundred members at the time. So um, it's really grown quite a bit, but it's an association that cares. And I think it's important for those of you who are 
elders, okay, or senior statesmen or experienced members, maybe you want to use that word. Experience, it's, it's your job to give back. It's your job to go back. It's your job to do and help and to do what you can right now. Are you seeing that from a lot of the elder members, the more experienced members? I am. Um, NSA members, I always say this, they lead with yes. Whenever I call one of our members to ask them to volunteer their time to do something before I've even finished the request, they have said yes. Um, So we're, again, very fortunate. We do have a lot of members that are willing to give back and we have some very successful, um, impressive members and they are willing to donate their time. Well, speaking of saying yes and uh, lead with yes, I need to say yes to this next uh, commercial. We'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. And we are back. This is Jeffrey Hazel live with All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Radio. I'm talking to the CEO of the National Speakers Association, or NSA. Always worried when I type that in to my search bar that somebody, Big Brother, might be listening. But I'm talking about the other NSA, the real important NSA, the National Speakers Association. And we're here live with Mary Lou Peck, who is the CEO. And we're talking about just the association, the change in it, how much the change has to occur for the association as it does for its membership. You, you, we mentioned early on in the, in the intro talking about young people. What are we doing to get more young people involved in this industry? Well, there's several things that we need to do and we need to change as an association um, to be attractive to young people, right? I mean, just look at our digital presence, look at our website. It's not that appealing. Um, Young people are a lot more tech savvy, but more than that, they grew up just watching YouTube. Anytime they have a question, they YouTube it. I mean, I remember back in the day when I had a question, you had to go to a library, find an index card, find a couple yeah. of books, right? Or so, you looked it up in the phone book. You looked yes. something up in a phone book. Yes. So I don't um, think I have a phone book anymore. <laughs> Do they even print the phone book? Any? I'm sure they still print them, but you know, anyway, none so, of us. There's a couple of things that we need to do to be a little bit um, more attractive for the younger generation. And then there's more work that we could do as an association to talk about what a viable and rewarding career this is. Um, That it's about more than just sharing your personal message. It's about igniting change and being that catalyst for change um, to uh, bring about the, the goodness in people and to help people innovate and to help them move to that next level of their career. So I can't think of a more rewarding uh, job, and that aligns with a lot of values that millennials and Gen Z share. So we're, we've got the right industry for them. We just don't have the right tools to attract them yet. And that's what we need to work on. Yeah. And it, right now, it, to have those tools, to have that way in which you can be part of a community is more and more important, especially as the speaking industry changes. You've got to become your own media company. You've got to become your own brand. And to do that, you're going to need those special kind of tools. So um, what's the next big thing on the horizon for NSA besides just, just, you know, just, just hunkering down and getting the stuff done? What's the next big thing for you? Sure. So for us, our focus is, um, you know, influence right now and making sure that we've, we are pivoting that. We're having the conversations with the keynote speakers. That's the other factor as to whether it's in person or it's, it's virtual. So we're having those conversations now. But going forward, 
we really are taking a look at our entire product portfolio and what do we do that adds value? What are we doing that could add more value? And what are we doing that really isn't adding the value that it used to add so that we can invest more time and resources in the things that would would really increase value. So we're coming out finally with online learning. Uh, we'll be launching the digital vault in uh, August. Oh, wow. We've soft launched it, and then we'll be um, doing a, a full launch in, in August. Um, and right now it is, it, it will be where all of our conference recordings, our digital media, our webinars, all of that stuff will be stored there and it will be uh, indexed and sorted. We've got special things in there like interviews with Million Dollar Speaker Group. Um, but over time, we're going to build that out into full learning paths, right? Um, so that's going to be a big focus for us overall, moving to more digital um, and, and becoming more of that, that, that digital transformation that we've been a little bit behind in. Well, it's exciting news, and I wish you the very best of luck. Of course, I'm backing you 100% because I do that with my dues, but I do that with my time, too, because I'm a real believer in the National Speakers Association, all it's done. I would not be where I am today as a professional speaker, as a member in the Hall of Fame, the CPAE, other than the experience that I had through NSA and all the people that helped get me there. Well, we're very grateful for you and for all of the time that you give to us. Well, you have to. It's our job. It's our job. We're talking live with Mary Lou Peck. She's the CEO of the National Speakers Association, and she's with us right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thanks, Mary Lou. Thank you. The end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned, and my, my next guest coming up is going to be a doozy. I'm telling you, a doozy. It's like raising the, the nuclear reactor rods out of the cooling tank and maybe not even having any cooling water whatsoever. That's it's, it's such a crazy interview. But with Mary Lou, what did I learn? I'll tell you what I learned. Lead with yes. I thought that was cool. Lead with yes. Yeah, like, yes. Like what? Imagine if you went through your life all the time just saying yes, 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 yes. Just do it. Hey, you want to go here? Yes. You want to do this? Yes. You want to do this? Yes. You want to you want to try this? Yes. Eat this? Yes. Drink this? Yes. What what a difference it make. And so I liked her statement about how leaders come to her and um who walk their talk, by the way, walk their talk and lead with yes. My second guest today has worked extensively with the C-suite and business leaders, owners, military generals, entrepreneur, unicorns, peer groups, YPO leaders globally. He's a speaker, a publisher, and a best-selling author. He's got a great magazine called Performance Magazine. You got to check that out. In fact, I'm I'm in it this month and I'm in it quite often because I just really like it. And I'm telling you, during this episode, you're going to hear it at the end. You got to listen to this. It goes off the track. We talk about derailment of COVID and we're going to hear a couple of things that might just low man pop your eardrums because is it true? Is it not? But you know what? What I like about it, it's free speech. Everybody's got their own opinion about what might be working and what might not. And I think Dr. Jeffrey McGee, who's our guest today, uh, he helps talk about that leaders are crafted and he's responsible to guiding many of those positions of leadership and he does it every single day and he's doing it here with us today. So Jeffrey, welcome to All Business right here on C-Suite Radio. Appreciate it. Good to have you here, man, so much. So what differentiates truly accomplished individuals that are successful from everybody else? That is the uh, billion dollar question of all time and everyone will give you an answer. So I love it. Uh, you know, m my experience globally, uh, domestically, and you know, right back home in your own zip code for each listener 
I think what really distinguishes the super achievers from others is not really one answer. A lot of times people say one thing, you know, it's about passion. Absolutely. They all have passion. So there's one of your differentiators. If you don't have passion for what you do, uh, uncertain times, like right now, as we're recording this, going through the world with this pandemic, it'll kick you on your butt, knock you down. And a lot of people, just as you were just sharing a minute ago with our last guest, uh, again, you can tell the difference between entrepreneurs and people that have signed fronts of payroll checks yeah. Uh, as opposed to people that are just cash checks, because in certain times, don't knock you down. You just find a new way to innovate uh, and deliver. And sometimes that innovation actually takes you from a place of where you didn't realize you were actually complacent. So uncertainty wakes you up and gets you going. Um, so I think one is passion. Two is actually having the real DNA to do those things you want to do. There's a lot of imposters out there. There's a lot of people that are great at <laughs> self-marketing and looking pretty. But when you show up, uh, they have nothing to give up. So yeah. that's the other a, lot, a lot of coaches and trainers. A lot of people say, hey, I'm 19. I'm a life coach. You're not a life coach. You're a team coach. That's what you are. Yeah. You know? and, and, you, and you suck at that. So sit down, shut up and listen up. Yeah, you're I mean, right. I think, you know, again, the, the one thing that's, that's beautiful about today, good and bad, is that the Internet is now an international platform from which everyone who has a mouth and half a brain cell thinks they're a podcaster or thinks that they're a subject matter expert or thinks they're, a, as you said, a coach. Uh, and it creates a lot of noise. And I think in our space, uh, one of the things that's been very intriguing in the past uh, three, four, five months is the people that really had a legitimate product. And this is going to probably make some people mad, but tough crap. People that had a legitimate product before the pandemic have a legitimate product today. Just yep. they have to question yep. what's the distribution channel. To me, business comes down to only two variables, Jeffrey. Every business is one or two things. Either you have a deliverable or you have a distribution system. And very seldom does an organization have both. So again, consultants and speakers, we are distribution systems. No, we're a deliverable. What's the distribution system? So if you were just a keynoter, well, guess what? Those are gone. But here's the here's the bigger problem. Yeah. You know, you and I are old enough to remember 9-11. 9-11 recalibrated the speaking training industry from all the people that had, you know, really wow messages. But two days later, there was no substance left in your brain. They all went out of business after 9-11. And that's what's happening today. You talked about restaurants a minute ago. It's amazing. Again, a chef-owned restaurant with a chef that has entrepreneurial DNA is surviving right now. But a chef-owned restaurant with no marketing or entrepreneurial DNA is dying or dead right now. And that's, that's what we see across America is everyone wants a handout versus a hand up. Well, it's whether it's a, it's getting back to one, having a network of people, having a network that you can belong to so that you can have that distribution system. And second, to be able to have the, the initiative to drive and thrive. I said that from the beginning, a lot of people stood back and waited and I'm watching. I actually watched a post this morning from somebody who said, I'm the problem. I mean, not me personally, but she said she's the problem because she was waiting. She was talking about what COVID's done to her rather than what she could do for her own business and how she needed to, to retool the business and get, you know, get out there like you and I have been doing since day one. We didn't stop. We didn't slow down. When everybody else was looking for a hug, listen, I'm going to give you a hug, but I'm going to also drag you to over the finish line like a rugby player. I'm going to take you across the goal line because that's what we got to do. We got to win this game. We got no Absolutely. choice. And that's exactly it. The people that have waited uh, have waited for lots of reasons. They waited because they were in shock and denial, or they waited because they were stunned and angry, or they waited because they were complacent and blaming, you know, the old grief cycle. 
or they waited because, again, no fault of their own. They never really were trained and developed to be able to know how to move forward. So that's a huge wake up for all the time they've wasted. But people that have been pushed and developed and had stretch goals and businesses, you know, and got downsized or put on the sideline, almost instantly reinvented themselves. You know, I look at these business owners and, and organizations are laying off, you know, a thousand people, 10,000 people, 10 people, whatever. What they should be doing is using this pandemic as an opportunity to rebalance and calibrate the organization because they could get away with a lot right now. They could say unions, uh-huh. here's the deal, unions. Every one of you need to stand up and help us to figure out how do we make right. money. And if you can't, then you're gone. Because you can get away with it right now. You could go to all your employees and say, you know what? Well, I got it gives you permission. You know, I've said this. Out. Yeah, Jeffrey, I've said this. Uh, it's giving businesses permission to do some different things or permission to fundamentally change where they're going. I mean, I, I told people, I said, are they going to stop meetings? Yes, they're going to stop meetings. Why? Because they can cut it. They can stop it. They can eliminate the cost factor. Can they keep people at home and stop travel? Yes. Why? Because they can't because that allows them to it. And they can recalibrate, retool, change their workforce and listen up America. Okay. There's a lot of people, listen up people who are working for people. Okay. There's a lot of talent out there right now. And as a CEO, I'm getting calls from everywhere saying, Jeff, I want to be part of your team. How can I do this? What can I do? How can I do for, how can I show you for free for the next month? That's what, that's the kind of calls I'm getting right now. Who, and let me, how can so I bring this to you? That Bill yeah. Gates did for years. Bill Gates owned the planet for years at Microsoft because a part of their interviewing and hiring process, and most people still don't get this, know this, but some people figured it out. If I'm an engineer and I'm applying at, at Microsoft years ago to work for you, Jeff, part of the interview process was they would unbundle a key problem they're working on and they would yeah. give that little piece to me as an engineer and say, work and find a solution and come back to your next interview. So every business today, instead of laying people off, whether you have tenure or no tenure, whether you're young or old, none of that stuff should matter anymore. It should be truly about who has the talent to be playing in in the future marketplace. If I have, uh, again, 100 employees, as I started to say a minute ago, and I'm going to lay off 10, I should actually say, wait a second, here's the deal. All 100 of you have 48 hours to come back to me and re-validate, repurpose your job description, your position statement, whatever you want to call it, for the reality of our new marketplace. Who can show me how you can validate, how you can be a value-based employee in this organization? And each of you that can't, sorry, you're gone. Because again, Here's some three stats, Jeff. I don't know if you caught these. Gallup hey, hang on, two seconds. We're going to hold that for just a second, take a break, because we are on fire. You can tell that. This is all business with Jeffrey Hazel. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. C-Suite Radio. All right, we're back. And I'm live right now with Dr. Jeffrey McGee. And we are talking about change and leadership and performance. You know, he owns Performance 360 Magazine. You wanna make sure you check that out. And we are talking about how you need to step up your game. In fact, yesterday, I had an, I had someone on our team actually said something, I wanna do this because this will make my life easier. I said, wrong fricking phraseology. You should be doing this to make our business better and, and serve our customers. I don't care whether it's easy or it's hard for us. Now, eventually, I'd love it to be easy, but right now, rethink your thinking, right? Do you better check yourself before you wreck yourself? Jeff, you were talking about three things people need to keep in mind right now. What are they? So Gallup Organization did a survey recently, and it, and it got very little national play because the numbers are so alarming. It pretty much blows up everyone's rhetoric and political and biased views. It said this. They surveyed thousands of American businesses. So first of all, that's a rarity in the survey world because normally surveys will survey 50 to 100 people and conclude something from that. 
So they surveyed thousands of American businesses, which therefore means tens of thousands of responders. And what they found is that American workers self-assessed into three subjects. Roughly 56% of responders indicated they were disengaged and complacent right before this pandemic, which means, again, nothing negative, but 56% of your workforce is waiting every day for someone to give them a clue. You give them a clue, they're constructive. You give them a clue to bitch, they all bitch. 15% of the American workers are actively disengaged every day. These are the ones yeah. who come to work and look for something to complain about. It's not my job. This isn't fair. Hey, so it makes too much money. All they do is bitch and complain. And we see some of these people in Congress. I mean, some people in Congress, <laughs> doesn't matter your political views, some people, if you really think about it in the last two or three years, some people have done nothing but bitch. They wake up every morning and look at the other side, and that's where they go. So 15%, jettison them, put them in the space shuttle, and send them to another planet. 29%, so 56% are complacent, 15% bitch for a living, 29% are actively engaged. And that's what the future is coming out of this pandemic. The 29% that are engaged on your team, like the person that came to you the other day, we can engage our people's heart, minds, and so on, get them excited, get them engaged, unleash their creative DNA. They'll solve every problem we have out there. But again, a lot of times what we do is we have negative people in the wrong position and they influence everyone else so no one shows up. So this is a recalibration globally for the best talent and that's who you want to keep and retain, and that's who you want to, in essence, recruit and get. Amen. Amen, brother. We are on fire here. We're talking with Dr. Jeffrey McGee, the CEO and human capital developer. He is the leader of JeffreyMcGee.com, and, of course, you check out PerformanceMagazine.com. Um, I'm in that magazine often. I love it. Love the love the writing. Love the people. Love the people that Thank are contributing you. to that magazine, and some big, big names. So, Jeffrey, you, you're kind of leaning on my next question, which can you teach someone how to be a great leader? Or is it born into them? Is it inherent in what they do or their DNA, as you mentioned earlier? And that's a great question. It's like the chicken and the egg, which came first. My, my view is that you can grow and develop and mentor and coach and teach great leaders. Yes. And yeah. some people are inherently born as a leader. But I'm going to challenge the born. I think some people are raised in an environment where inherently they have uh, challenges, opportunities, where they can, in essence, stand up and shine, and they have support networks at an early age where they become a leader. So again, I think it is both. The problem is, you're trying to grow and teach great leaders, you better understand the DNA of what a great leader possesses. You may not be able to repeat the exact same experience of right. what Jeffrey Hazlett had that led you to be a great leader versus me or someone else, but if we know what that experience is and what it grew, then we can replicate that. So it can be both. The damage is, we have a lot of people that are, and again, there's a time for everything. We talk about six phases of leadership, six styles of leadership is what organizational psychology has settled on for the last hundred years. There's only six hats you can wear as a leader. You have to understand all six to be a great leader. The problem is two of those hats deal with tough love. Two of those hats deal with critical conversations. Two of those hats deal with holding people accountable. Two of those hats deal with giving someone a swift kick in the butt. And some people don't like anything I just said because they're all about warm fuzzy. And that's the crap that's got the planet in trouble is that we lack accountability. So a great leader has to be able to go from one extreme of nice to the other extreme of I'm not dealing with this crap anymore. And then, by the way, that doesn't make you a bad guy or a bad woman. No, it, it makes you just a great leader. It just means you're, you're being honest, transparent, and I think Absolutely. real critical. You know, you said passion earlier, and I think one of the worst things people can do is tell people to go follow their passion. You know, you're going to you're going to have a great business. You're going to be a great leader if you follow your passion. I think passion's part of it, but following your passion ain't going to lead you to success. No, you, ha you have to have a form. So in, in one of my books called Your Trajectory Code, it's the only 
personal success book I've written out of 31 books translated into 21 languages, four legitimate bestsellers, along with four graduate textbooks. So these people that write a book that becomes a bestseller in a subset of a subcategory on Amazon at 3 a.m. and say they're a bestseller. I mean, I'm tired of this bull crap. So the reality <laughs> is there's a model called the Player Capability Index Model. I use it in my coaching. I use it in my executive leadership development with C-suite um, executives all over the planet. And, and so part of the way I would answer that is you, you bet passion is what's going to drive you in good and bad times. However, you have to have the mental skill set, aptitude, knowledge, and skill. That's one of many ingredients in this formula. So one, you have to have the knowledge to drive your trajectory. You have to have the mindset and attitude and passion to drive that. You have to have experiences to understand sequentially what you have to do in life first, second, and third, how to deal with good and bad. So there's a whole lot more to just following your passion. You're right. I mean, I would love to be a, to be a pro uh, sports player making millions of dollars a year. Well, the reality is I can have all the passion and roll, but I have no skill sets to do any of those. So yeah, wake up call America. Wake up. I think that's great. You know, everything's accelerated right now. I've been mentioning right now that days are weeks, weeks are months, months are years, right? And that you've got to be able to drive their change. Is there anything that you see that's not accelerating or shouldn't be accelerating? Like no, like and I, and I love that phrasing, Jeff. I've, I've used a very similar phrase for many years. That's why I was excited to hear you start using that over and over and over every day on your podcast to drill it into people. So, so whether we're looking at success or failure, I think you need to accelerate both, and that's the element. So a good friend of mine many years ago, Jim Stolvo, lives in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, lost his eyesight in college. His life trajectory was to become a pro football player, lost his eyesight, no cure for it. Um, self-made millionaire, written many books have been turned into movies, et cetera. I, you know, very good friends with him. When I lived in Tulsa, I was one of the rare people that, that he really chose to hang out with and that I hung out with. And sometimes I'd interact with him. I'd forget that he's blind. And I remember once walking into a restaurant, you know, he'd walk and he kind of has his arm and elbow and we're in a great conversation. I opened the door for me, for myself, and I forget to open the door for him. Boom, he runs in and he goes, okay, McGee, that's once. Don't do it again. Yeah, but, don't do that. But he had a classic line, Jeffrey, and that was, I would rather accelerate my rate to failure than invest time, money, and energy and take days, weeks, months, and years to get to something that's not going to work. So I think we actually, which goes back to earlier question, if you have Ooh, the knowledge and skill and acumen and you have the passion, you should be accelerating everything now. Now is a perfect time to double down on everything. And if you look at great entrepreneurs, they double down on good and bad. Well, but by the way, in accelerating to failure accelerates to success because you're going to fail. Let's be clear. I keep telling this. Everybody talks about fail fast. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Win fast. The way you win fast is accelerate to failure. I love that phrase. That's a great phrase. Let's talk about human capital. How do I develop some human? We only got a couple minutes left, but but we're talking fast. Hey, how how? Let's talk human capital. How can I develop my human capital in a remote workforce? How can I do that? I love it. So one of the books I recently wrote is a book called Talentification. I made up a whole new word, Talentification. And so I looked at the talent development whole life cycle of organizations from the Fortune 100 firms I work with to best practice, you know, 500 million to six, seven, eight billion dollar companies. I started realizing what are they doing all over the place that works. And that's the way I'll come back to your question. In a virtual standpoint, here's the beauty, whether you're, you're looking at bricks and mortar and we come together on occasion or before the pandemic, we were all together in one place all the time, or now virtual. And I think there's a place for combination of all. And there actually is value in people coming together. So don't, don't get all excited about virtual and say we're never coming back together, because that will be a critical risk for you that me and my clients are going to kick your butt and take you over. But now within virtual, yes. So here's the virtual. One, look at the job description. Go back to job description, you know, position statements. You have to have a map of what the heck you want me to do as an employee. If I have one, 
self-accountability. Two, we have systems in place to hold us accountable without the boss having to look over the cube to see us, which was where we were before the pandemic. And people have access to the resources to do their job. And then they're incentivized. I just gave you five answers. And then you're incentivized for the performance you want, not the hours in the seat. You can have virtual employees that are working great. Now, the thing I'd add to that, just like you, everyone that's listening, just watch right now. Look at Jeff Hazlett's background. Look at my background. If you're going to work virtually and you're interacting with customers, I do believe, I strongly believe you need to be professional. Yes, there might be one-offs where your child's in the other room and they might come in, but you need to control that crap. I don't think it's cute. See, again, you've got to control that you're still professional. So there's no reason why you can't work virtually. And if you're going to video, you still look professional. This is my studio setup. There's Jeffrey's studio. So those are the environments, I think, if you manage that dynamic, people can kick butt virtually. Yeah. Now, my team says we should pause for a Xanax break, but I'm going to keep going because I'm not going to say we got a couple more minutes. So I'm going to keep going. So the heck with the commercial. I'm going to lose money on this one, but I don't Thank care. Tell, tell me about pandemic derailment. And that's going to be our last question for today. How did, how did this lead to turbulent times? Let's talk about that. I, so several reasons. So, so one, we've got to put it into context so no one's head blows up. Any loss of life is traumatic. That's too late. I get it. You know, That's too late, by the yeah, way. Exactly. That's too late. Their so, heads have already blown up. So the reality <laughs> is this pandemic, which is, again, number three in the last 20 years, has come from China. So let's put that on the table. No one has the guts to say, OK, you know, we wouldn't tolerate a military invasion of another country. But it's interesting how we've been passive on this one for 20 years. Set that to the side. CDC says this Chinese coronavirus uh, COVID-19 pandemic or whatever name you feel comfortable calling it is number 16 on the list of the diseases that kills people in America daily and monthly in the world. So there's 15 other diseases that kill more people than this pandemic. And notice we've never shut down the world's best economy and freaked everyone out the way we did with this. One. So one, I think we have to back up in the lesson learned. You can't toss it under the bus is to realize that the first reason we shut everything down is because we were using the UK's mathematical models of what was going to happen. And we quickly found out that those models were flawed and so we started gathering our own data. But I think the medical community freaked out our elected leaders to shut stuff down because they all started freaking out. So that's one lesson learned coming out is I think 10 years from now, we will realize that we did some smart things. Absolutely. Maybe by shutting down hard, we did contain. Okay, that's good. But I think we're going to realize that we, in essence, uh, play chicken little and the sky is falling too fast and too quick and too long. Here in Nevada, our governor, who's again, really a great gentleman, he's been on welfare his entire life. So he's been getting that government paycheck every day as elected leader, never had a job like you and I as a capitalist, said that we- How do you feel? How do you feel, Jeff? You I, feel? I don't like people who take money out of my pocket that have never worked for a living, make decisions on how I get the money in my pocket. But totally in Nevada, agree. as an example, he said, we need 14 straight days of numbers coming down before we can open up. We're now on day 22 of numbers coming down and we're still shut down. There's almost a million people just in my state where there's only 2 million people unemployed, all tied to hospitality and conventions. I walked down this trip because I live on this trip. I walked down this trip last night, did my three hour walk around town. And what's interesting is I counted 20 cars on the Las Vegas strip in two hours, 20 wow. cars, 15 ish wow. people. So when they open this back up, this city is not going to be back open for business for at least six, seven, eight months. And you're going to feel the reverb. And I'm just using our economy as one. Take it to anywhere you want in the country. You're going to feel the economic reverb for at least one, two, three years in the city. And I would predict unless a miracle happens and the city does open back up the way it was in February, which I don't see that happening. You're going to have a massive real estate, either flatline or implosion come this fall. But that's what happened. So, again, I think we, we looked at every data point and freaked out instead of using common sense. That's what this. Well, I tell you what, right now, 
my common sense is saying I'd love to go on and on and on, but I can't because I'm out of time. But I'm going to have you back because, man, Thanks, oh, man, we're going to have some fun. And I, we only got to two questions out of my entire list because Sorry. we were just having so much fun. No, this is awesome. Hey, we've been talking with my good friend and fellow Thought Council member here on the C-Suite Network. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey McGee is the CEO, and he is a human capital developer. You can find him at Jeffrey McGee, M-A-G-E-E.com. And also, you can find them at Performance Magazine. Check that out. Hey, Jeff, thanks so much for being right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. And at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And I tell you what I learned about Jeff. It's like, wow, talk about high energy, talk about passion, and talk about opinions. Everybody's entitled to them, and that's a pretty cool thing. But I tell you what I really, really, really like is that uh, you can teach leadership. You know, passion's great. But you need to have the mental aptitude and you need to have the skills in order to be real successful. And that will trump passion every single day. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends. And I can't wait to see you uh, on the next podcast. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Brought to you by C-Suite Radio. A podcast network featuring today's top business experts. And is part of the C-Suite Network. The world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.